0: Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, who offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Father, what a glorious promise this is that we have here in Hebrews as we begin to culminate in the explanation of who Jesus is as our great high priest. We'll transition soon to looking at how that high priest brings us great joy and what he has done for us. So, Father, as we dive into this word, we pray that you would help us to understand in our heads what it is that you're teaching us about Jesus, to hide this truth in our heart that he is our great high priest and his sacrifice was enough, and to work out with our hands through worship and praise and adoration the truth that Jesus is better. In his precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 30 years ago in 1993, there was a film that came out called Groundhog Day. I know some of you aren't that old, but it happened. And the premise of the movie was that a weatherman named Phil Connors relived February 2nd Groundhog Day over and over and over and over again. After traveling to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for the Groundhog Day festivities, a giant storm hit the city and trapped Phil and his whole crew in Punxsutawney. So as he wakes up, the next morning, he finds it strange that the same song is on the radio that had been on that morning previous, and as the day goes on, he's realizing that he is reliving the same day over and over again, and over and over again, Phil lives through this same day. Throughout the movie, we see him try to end the day. Sometimes we see him take advantage of his knowledge of what happens that day, but eventually he gives up trying to escape. And instead focuses on bettering himself he gives up on trying to run away from this over and over and over again and seeks something better now likely at some point as we've gone through hebrews you've felt a little bit like phil did seeing things over and over and over again jesus is better jesus is better jesus is better jesus is better that's okay we want to see that over and over again But some things we don't want to see over and over again. Some things over and over again are just broken. And that's one of the things that the author of Hebrews here is trying to convey to his audience, his audience who is under persecution, who is thinking about going back to the Jewish faith so that they won't be persecuted anymore. He's trying to show them that Jesus is better because in the Jewish faith under the law, they had to sacrifice over and over and over again. They're trapped in this continuous cycle. But Jesus is better because he only had one death. If the Christian, Jewish Christians go back to the Jewish faith, they would be going back to imperfection, sacrificing for their sins again and again and again like Groundhog Day. But, as the author continues to point them to, Jesus is better. And one of the ways Jesus is better is Jesus is better as a priest. As we've gone through, particularly chapter 7, we've seen that Jesus is better as a priest, and we've seen that the priestly order of Melchizedek is better than the Levitical order. You remember that the Levites were uh, the tribe that continuously made the sacrifices. They were the priests. And every time a high priest died, a new one was appointed. And so there was high priest after high priest after high priest, just like there were sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But in Melchizedek, there's only one, and he doesn't die in the text. And Psalm 110 pointed forward, to another one who would be like Melchizedek and wouldn't die again and again and again. And so we saw that the order of priesthood of Melchizedek was better than the Levitical order. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus is a part of this order of Melchizedek. So today in verses 26 through 28, we're going to see how Jesus is better and superior to the priest's As the author of Hebrews brings this to a culmination before he moves on and explains the exact things that Jesus as a priest does. Now many commentators look at these three verses, 26, 27, and 28, either as the midway point in the letter or as the conclusion of a major section talking about how Jesus is priest. So let's look at these verses. Let's read 26 together. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This section shows us that Jesus is better than the Levitical priests, and this verse in particular summarizes that by showing us that Jesus is better than the Levitical priests because of his absolute purity. Previously, we saw it was fitting, back in chapter 2, verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So in chapter 2, verse 10, we saw it was fitting that the one who was going to perfect, or who was going to bring about the end of this suffering was being perfected by suffering. And now again, we see it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, this one who was perfected through suffering, this one who is Jesus Christ. Jesus' substitutionary suffering, the suffering that perfected him, to the point of death, is the only way that God can and will forgive us. We can't pay for our own sins. We can't do enough. We can't donate enough. We can't spend enough time doing things to make up for the sin that we commit. It's not just because we don't have enough time and we tend to sin more than we tend to be holy, but it's also because even if we were able to somehow make up for those things, everything we do is tainted with sin. And so even in an effort to perfect ourselves or to have our sins forgiven, we would be sinning in and of that effort because we would be doing it selfishly or we would be doing it thoughtlessly or in some other way. We are hopeless on our own. But Jesus' substitutionary suffering to the point of death does give us forgiveness. So why does verse 26 say it is fitting, hearkening back to that suffering in chapter 2? It says that because Jesus is absolutely pure. And it goes on to list how he is absolutely pure as a high priest. First it says he is holy. And this word holy is a quality of devotion or piety. Holy means being set apart for God. Jesus is holy. This is a different word that's used elsewhere for holy, uh, and this word specifically represents that being set apart for God. Not only is Jesus holy, but he's innocent. That means an absence of guilt or even guile. Jesus did not sin. He has nothing to be guilty for. He is innocent. And not only did he not sin, but he didn't even have intentions on sinning or any kind of thought sins. He is innocent. Not only is he holy and innocent, but he's also unstained. When this word is used in the Greek New Testament, it refers to moral purity. He is perfect. He has no stain. He has no taint of sin on him at all. Not only is he wholly innocent and un- unstained, but those things make him separated from sinners. Jesus is different from sinners. He's morally different, he's different in the way he acted, and he's different in the ways that he can bring forgiveness. He's separated from the high priests which have to first sacrifice for themselves because they are also sinners before they sacrifice for others. He is holy. He is innocent. He is unstained. He is separated from sinners. And these things draw him up to be with the Lord, exalted above the heavens. Because of who Jesus is because of his holiness, his innocence, his unstainedness, his separation from sinners, when he died on our behalf and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, that exaltation puts him above us in every way. He is in his heavenly position as God's right hand. If you're in... Sunday school this morning, we were talking about the doctrine of Jesus Christ and how it is so significant that he rose from the dead, because if his death had not been enough to pay for our sins, then he would still be dead. But by that resurrection, we see that it was enough, and that God approved of his sacrifice. And after that resurrection came the ascension. He is still living and is sitting at God's right hand. Jesus is different from everyone else that came before him. Not just in that he's not a part of the Levitical line, not just in that he's not a Levite, he's a part of the tribe of Judah, but in that he is different as a person. He is holy. He is innocent. He is unstained. He is separated from sinners. And right now he is exalted above the heavens, seated at God's right hand. Christ has these unique qualifications. No one else throughout all of history has any of these qualifications. These are qualifications of absolute purity, which set him apart from and above all the other priests that came before. We saw in the first part of chapter 7 how the priestly order of Melchizedek was better than the Levitical order and how through Abraham the Levitical order has given tithes to Melchizedek, showing Melchizedek to be superior. Then we saw in the middle section of chapter 7 how Jesus is a part of this order of Melchizedek, how he is a priest like Melchizedek, one who has no end. And now we see that he is absolutely pure. And so it is not just that he is not of the Levitical order, that is, he's of the order of Melchizedek. It is not just that he is not of the tribe of Levi, he's of the tribe of Judah, but also that he is absolutely pure. That sets him apart from the high priest that they know of. Now this is important because, again, contextually speaking, when we hear the word Jesus, we think, oh yeah, we know what Jesus is, we we know who he was, we know how he lived, we know how he died, we know his sacrifice is important, And, and Jesus to us is just common knowledge. But for the Jews, the Christian Jews that the author is writing to their growing up their common knowledge their rootedness in the scriptures would have drawn them to the Levitical priests first that's what they would have grown up under that's what they would have understood that's what their paradigm would have been I have to kill an animal for my sin this is what they understood and Jesus was radical he was so different. That's what we have to do when we read scripture. We have to put on the lens of the original audience because context is That's right, context is king. If we don't put on the lens of the original audience and read it instead through our lens, it's like, yeah, 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 we know Jesus is great. But if we do put on the lens of the original audience, we see that their temptation would be go back to this Levitical system because it made sense to them. It was transactional. I sin, I pay for a sacrifice. I sin, I pay for a sacrifice. There was a feeling of of you doing something here. Plus, they were being persecuted because they were Christians, and they weren't persecuted over here. But the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is better than that whole system. Everything you've known, everything you're tempted to go back to, Jesus is better. Look at verse 27. He, that is Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Again, we're reminded of the weaknesses of the Levitical priesthood. When they went to sacrifice, they had to first sacrifice for themselves. They're dirty too. They have to be cleansed first before they can go about representing God to the people and the people to God and dealing with their sins. They first have to be clean. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus' absolute purity and sinlessness, which we already saw in chapter 4. Turn back with me to chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is under that heading, Jesus the Great High Priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we've already seen about Jesus' absolute purity and sinlessness, and now here we're seeing it again, and we're seeing that that purity, that sinlessness, is what makes Jesus' sacrifice, not only incredible, but truly a one-time event. The Levitical priests had to sacrifice over and over and over again throughout their whole lives. And then when a new high priest came about, they had to sacrifice over and over and over again because those sacrifices weren't enough. We've already said those sacrifices weren't actually paying for the sin. But Jesus' one-time sacrifice as the absolute, pure, and sinless Son of God was enough. And that sacrifice paid not only for the sins of us, but of all believers throughout space and time. Jesus' one death was Enough, And it was enough because he is absolutely pure and perfect, sinless in the eyes of God. And it is because of this perfect sacrifice, which comes from Christ's absolute purity, that he is now exalted in the heavens. No other high priest rose from the dead. No other high priest ascended to be with God, but Jesus did because he was God's son, because he was the perfect sacrifice. It's interesting that as we continue through the New Testament, we again see references to this and emphases on this. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Not by continuous sacrifice, not by our own works, but by Jesus' wounds we have been healed. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter one, verse four. Excuse me. Who gave that is Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Through Jesus's perfect death we are delivered to the Lord in a way we could not be without Jesus. He is perfect. So to summarize all of that How Jesus is better even than these Levitical priests. Verse 28 gives us a pattern, compares grammatically the two orders, the order of the Levites and the order of Jesus. Look at verse 28 For the law appoints men in their weaknesses, or in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now notice the pattern. The law appoints men to be high priests who have weakness. But the word of the oath appoints a son as high priest who has been made perfect forever. The author of Hebrews grammatically lines these two sentences up perfectly. We compare it was the law first, but now it's the oath of the promise. What we saw in Psalm 110, verse 4, that God made an oath to fulfill. Appoints men, many different people, because they keep dying, verses 1, the Son, to be high priests who have weaknesses, because there are many, versus who have been made perfect forever, who is Jesus The law is weak. Even though it had authority in its time, it is now surpassed, superseded by a better, perfect high priest. The old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, is ineffective because it is weak. It is subject to sickness. It's subject to death. It's subject to this pattern repeating over and over and over again. No high priest before Jesus was able to deal with everything. Whereas Jesus is effectual and because of that absolute perfection and effectual nature, he is now sitting at God's right hand hand, and is exalted forever. In these two sentences, there are three distinct contrasts made. First, We see God's means of appointments. The Levites were appointed through the law and through genealogy. God gave the law, he said, when one high priest dies, this is how you choose the next one. And the way that they did that was through genealogy, the oldest son of the former high priest. That was how the men were appointed for the Levites. Jesus was appointed not by his genealogy, not by the law, but by God's word of oath. Look back with me at verses 20 through 22 in chapter 7. We talked about this previously. It was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. God appointed the Levites by giving the law and telling them how to do it because they would need a new high priest over and over and over again. God appointed Jesus through his oath. We saw that in Psalm 110. Number two, we see the contrast of how the high priests were appointed or the high priestly appointees and what they meant. The Levites were men in weakness, Weakness because they could get sick. Weakness because they could die. Weakness because they were not going to be able to deal with their sin forever. But Jesus is is superior to them, is superior to the angels, and is God's son. He has no weakness. Jesus' superior nature points to mankind's, our frailty and points to God's eternality. God is forever. Again, this morning in Sunday school, we talked about how Jesus always has been, is, and always will be as a member of the Godhead. God is forever. We are not. The Levites were weak because they would die. They would get sick. They would have to pass on the mantle. Jesus is not weak because he will not die again. Instead, he is exalted at God's right hand. And the third distinct contrast is the historical order. First came the law. God gives the law and establishes this pattern, establishes this method, establishes this way. And then, after the law, came Jesus. And he supersedes the law. God's word of oath takes over where the law failed. Jesus came later, but he was better. The law was actually meant to to not only help the people understand the weightiness of sin, that that blood had to be shed to atone for sin, but the law was also given to help people to say, this doesn't feel right. This can't be enough. There's got to be something better. And there is. That something better is Jesus. His life, death, sacrifice, rising from the grave, and ascension is better than anything that came before. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to remind his audience of. Don't go back to this. This is not sufficient. This is not enough. Jesus is better. Verses 26, 27, and 28 Wrap up all of chapter 7 and bring this order of Melchizedek understanding of who Jesus is to a close by showing us how perfect Jesus is and why he is better. As we've gone through this, you may be feeling like you're experiencing a, a priestly groundhog day, seeing again and again how Jesus is better than the law, Jesus is better than the Levites. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's felt like that's what the last three weeks have been. You know, hey, see last week. But really what the author is doing is he's emphasizing through repetition the importance of the difference between the Levitical series of laws and the high priest there, the Melchizedek order of priesthood, and how Jesus is better. It's important for us to remember that the Levites and their sacrifices for the Jews, were originally a sense of comfort. But that Jesus is better than that. Putting on those lenses of understanding where they were and why it is that the author of Hebrews keeps hammering on how glorious and how great and how pure and how perfect and how holy Jesus is. Because he doesn't want them to fall prey the weakness of something else. For the Jews, Jesus was incredible news, and incredible freedom. For the Jews who came to faith to believe in Jesus, this was the greatest news ever, because he dealt with the brokenness that came with the law. Paul summarizes what Jesus did in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you, that's y'all, were dead. All of y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our position before Jesus was one of death. It's not one of fainting. It's not one of fatigue. It's one of death. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He doesn't say made us alive together with the law and the sacrifices. He says made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We, just like the Jews, just like all people throughout humanity, are sinners who cannot save ourselves. But God loved us so much that he dealt with our sin. He started in the garden. It's interesting because we see this promise made to Adam and Eve. Covenants often involve blood of some kind, a sacrifice of some kind. And when God is handing out the punishments to Adam and Eve and he says to the snake, your descendants shall strike the heel of the descendant of the woman and her descendants shall crush your descendants head. That's the promise of Jesus. And then what does God do? He kills an animal and he covers their nakedness. Their nakedness represents shame, represents their sinfulness, and God covers their sinfulness through the blood of an innocent. The law then carried that forward, God covering our sinfulness through the blood of the sacrifices. And Then Jesus perfected that, covers our sinfulness through the blood of the ultimate, pure, perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, And so when we read a text like this, when we see how holy, innocent, unsan, unstained, and separated Jesus is, and how now he is exalted above the heavens and is praying for us, what do we do? We respond through rejoicing. We respond by drawing near to God in prayer and in worship and praising his holy name, thanking him that he gave us Jesus. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. There's not a curtain separating us from the presence of God anymore. Because of Jesus, we can pray and make known our requests to the Lord. And because of Jesus, we know that one day, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more suffering anymore. Because he will reverse the effects of sin, and we will be with him forever. It's only possible because of Jesus. It's only possible because of this holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, Son of God. The great high priest, the great high priest, the one in the order of Melchizedek. So brothers and sisters, as you think about chapter seven and the culmination here in verses 26 through 28, I want to encourage you to think about why we should rejoice. And as you think about that, rejoice. Don't just meditate on rejoicing and praising and thanking the Lord. Actually do it and worship and pray to our almighty Father who has given us the sacrifice that we couldn't make on our own through his Son. Given us a gospel of hope that we couldn't have on our own through his Son. Amen. Father, we thank you that Jesus was perfect. We thank you that he was a sacrifice that meant that there needed to be no more sacrifices. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent him to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve, to raise from the grave showing your approval of his sacrifice and to ascend to be with you seated at your right hand, praying for us today Father, that we can have all this through faith in what he did. And if we have that faith, we have hope. We pray that this hope would fill our hearts and that we would become more and more like Christ each and every day. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.